Hello and welcome to Glitch Cube, we're a gaming podcast, and each week we take a deeper look into the art of video games, and as always, I'm Christian. I'm Chris. And welcome back, everybody. We are really excited this week to continue the conversation that we started last week on our top games of the year. And this was a little bit tricky to compile because there's so many amazing games out there. And we kind of have a feeling that this one might be a really long episode. Uh, So (laughs) strap in, get ready, and just enjoy this little conversation. I I think it's pretty funny because we tried so hard to, we we tried to plan ahead where we're like, okay, this is going to be just a long conversation in general. So let's break it up into two parts. And then now looking at the games of what we're going to be discussing today, uh, I'm a little worried that we need even more time. <laughs> like we, we talked for an hour about just five games last time. So this is going to be um, a lot to dive into. <laughs> we're breaking the two hour mark today. Oh, gosh. I, I I hope not, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, as much as I'm passionate about some of these, I'm like I don't know. Like, I feel like if I if we went super long, we'd start getting into like spoiler territory, and uh, some of these games like they're they need to be experienced. So, yeah. forewarning, I from uh, I'll try not to do spoilers. I'll hint. If not, I'll just be like listen in like one minute later and I'll just summarize something real quick but I want to preserve the experience because man I was blown away by some of these this year totally agree with that because there's a couple games that I want to talk about that like you said you have to experience the title itself like unraveling it and there's one game in particular that we're going to talk about today that I really want to talk about with you but you haven't played it yet and i feel like if i say any more than i already have then it's gonna it's gonna ruin the experience like you just need to have it unfold in front of you so it's we're gonna be discussing some of these games a lot there's a lot to talk about here but we're definitely gonna try and stay away from the spoiler side of things uh, and talk more about just mechanics uh the artwork and just our raw experience with it just to kind of you know make it a little bit easier to listen so that you don't have to worry about them spoilers because there is a lot to go into <laughs> yeah but yeah um do you want to start us off with your first game friend yeah uh i'll start off with a game i think that surprised me the most um in not in like the mind-blowing like story kind of way but surprised me in that i at first did not really care about this game at all when it came out i saw it and i was like that's cool not for me don't care um but someone brought it to my attention like hey you really should check this out so surprisingly yesterday i in the morning i woke up early and i was like man i really i want to play a game but i don't want to play anything time consuming because i'd be kind of busy mm-hmm. So I booted up this game called Tinykin. Yeah. And for those out there that don't know, it's a platformer with Pikmin style elements. You get these little creatures called Tinykins that follow you. Uh, you, you crack their eggs and they, they start following you. And you use them to help finish objectives in different stages. And in this game, there's six stages. 
um, seven if you count kind of like the connecting hub. But each one has artifacts that you can find. Um, they have these things called pollen, which are like, you know, rings in a sauna game. Like you collect them, uh, you collect a certain amount on each stage, you get an upgrade to your floating mechanism, mm -hmm. which kind of reminds me of, you know, Princess Peach in Smash Brothers, the way you kind of hover. It's kind of like that. So more pollen, the more you can float longer, which is necessary for some of the later challenges. And this game really surprised me because don't get me wrong, I really like the idea of Pikmin. I just feel like Nintendo kind of doesn't doesn't push it to what it could be. Mm -hmm. It always felt like it was like the first Pikmin was really cool, don't get me wrong. It was like, "Whoa, this is interesting," but I feel like there's only so much Nintendo can do with it or at least what they've done. And I think this game does it so damn well. I The thing that really drew me in about it, honestly, was the way it looked. You know, your characters look really cool with, like, the little, like, drawing, and then it's, like, in a nice 3D world. And there's, ooh, I think five or six different little tinykins. Like, some build bridges for you, some break things for you, some move things, and the other ones, like, conduct uh, electricity. Hmm. This game was so addicting, I played it nonstop, <laughs> fully. I, I, I stopped to maybe eat, but I didn't, like, put it down and go do something else. Like, I was weirdly sucked into it. And that hasn't really happened to me for actually a few games on my list. And it's it's on Game Pass, so I recommend anybody out there that has a feeling for that and has Game Pass, check it out. It does the formula really well because the platforming feels so damn good. They right in the beginning they give you the they call this the soap board. And well, I guess I should say this. You are a person on another planet and you wanna learn about the origins of humanity. So you go to this uh, planet and you get shrunk. So you're like a tiny little person in a house and that's the setting. Mm. So you, you meet this like little weird creature and he's like, Oh, we need to build a spaceship for you to get back. But in the process, like, Oh, you can help you learn about humanity. So you do that. And that's basically every stage you get a part for your ship and you know, you can go back to space, but the how can I put it? The the platforming is just so nice because with that soap board that you get, imagine it kind of like skateboarding. And it's cool. It makes the stages go by so fast because you can just surf all around or skate all around. And it they have these things called like silk spiders that shoot silk and then you can like grind on them up to like really high ledges and it it's just so damn cool and the floating mechanism works really well and everything about this game is just enjoyable like it's a very short game if you just want to see the story and kind of play around with it it's like three four hours it took me about 
closer to six because I just enjoyed it so much. I was trying to find everything possible and pretty much did uh, to an extent. So, I mean, it's even not that long of a game for that reason, but it was enjoyable. You know, the story was kind of, it was there. It's not like a earth shattering story, but it, it just went well. It was cute exploring the little, the locales of the different stages. Cause every stage kind of had a little town, you know, there's one stage you got like silverfish trying to have a party in a sink. <laughs> um, another one you have like this praying mantis who's like trying to be kind of a strict ruler. You have these, bugs trying to form a revolution against the the government like it, it's so interesting some of the the things going on in these little stages and it's just it was an enjoyable experience that it hit everything perfectly there were times where i was like there was always something to explore i never really got bored with it and it was like the perfect like weekend game you know, you, you can't decide something. I'm going to pick this up and it it's enjoyable. And honestly, I didn't think I'd be talking this much about it because it's not a whole lot to the game other than, you know, throwing little tiny dudes at certain objects to make them move. Right. But this, this game is damn good. And I'm glad that I'm starting to see people talk about it more because we don't really see too many of these kind of games, right? Like we just know Pikmin. I know there's been a few, like one or two others, I think that have come out over time, but none of them have really been done like this. And I feel like personally, this is probably maybe the best experience I've had with a game like that, like better than Pikmin nostalgia aside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This game looks amazing. Honestly, like it looks like everything Pikmin it should be. And you're right, like uh, Pikmin has such a great potential, but Nintendo just didn't really take it to where I think it needed to go. Right. And mm -hmm. just the art style alone of this is just really adorable and cutesy. I, I do like the idea that this is supposed to be, you know, you're going to a whole nother world to learn about humanity. So you get shrunk down to miniature size. So everything mm -hmm. is just like, you know, it's household items that you're playing around with. And it just, yeah, this definitely looks like a game that I definitely should play <laughs> that I'm going to enjoy a lot because I've always wanted to really, really love the Pikmin games. Like they just seem like my kind of game. Like I, I love the style of them, but they just don't really live up to that expectation that I have. And this definitely looks like it will a hundred percent. It just looks adorable, and it yeah, it looks super super cool. It looks really fast, which I enjoy. Uh, like the like you're able to move around really quickly. Uh, mm -hmm. Traversing doesn't seem like it's too much of a problem, and they basically give you the whole world to just kind of roam around in right from the beginning, which is really nice. Whereas yep. with Pikmin, it's very. You know, it's very like tiny what you can interact with and it's little tiny segments opened up after one after the other, but it's usually the same. This is taking those Pikmin and those Pikmin style characters and expanding on the traversal tremendously and just giving you free reign over everything. And I do think it's kind of funny that they both have basically the same exact storyline, 
that you're trying <laughs> yeah. to make a ship, right? Like they, they are not hiding the fact that this is a Pikmin game. Not at all. I mean, you can't really hide that, right? With the mechanics that it's mm-hmm. using. But it's a little funny that it's, oh, you're on a different planet and you need to make a ship. Well, that's exactly what Pikmin is. So it's it's kind of funny to see that. And I do think that one of the reasons why the Pikmin games aren't as strong as they can be is because Nintendo itself didn't have that much confidence in the Pikmin games to begin with, which I think is really sad. Like Pikmin was supposed to be a Mario game. And then during development, they decided, oh, we don't know if people are going to really enjoy this. So maybe... Let's change the character model. We'll change the name and we'll just, you know, like kind of just get the game out there and see what people think. Well, if they had put that much love and attention into it that they do with a lot of their other titles, like the Mario titles, and actually made it a Mario game, I think that it would have been something closer to what Tinykin is showing us. And it would have been a lot more successful. So it's a little sad. And a little side note for people out there. The reason why Olimar and Pikmin, that's his name, if you scramble it up, it's Mario 1, and the character model in the game development like that they were using is Mario 1, so they just changed it to be Olimar. So that's, yeah, it just kind of shows that fact that they really wanted to make a Mario game using Pikmin-style stuff, but just weren't confident enough in it, which is kind of sad. Good old Nintendo taking the uh, the easy way out of things. Yeah, yeah, it's a little depressing, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so I'm going to talk about another game out there that is really fun. Uh, It's pretty enjoyable. A lot of people really got into it for sure. Uh, Another one of those that has some pretty adorable art style to it, that hand-drawn look and everything like that. Uh, But I'm going to be talking about Nobody Saves the World. Now, this is a really fun title. And, you know, of course, it's not like as expansive as a lot of people might want, but it does have a lot of raving reviews and a lot of people really enjoyed it. One of the things that really caught my eye with it was not just the art style. That's what originally drew me to it. The comedy and the writing, I think, is fantastic. I love puns in games, right? Even, like, the cheesier, the better. Like, I love dad jokes. Why not, right? Uh, But I think the biggest thing that got me with this game was the customization that you can have with your characters themselves. That was what really kind of blew me away was the fact that very early in the game, like, I would say maybe, I don't know, like an hour in, You can already unlock a bunch of characters, right? And then after that, you can actually customize those characters. So for people who don't know what Nobody Saves the World is, you are a wizard. You're nobody. It's just like a white, all white, none. There's no description, right? Like it's just a blob character, right? And you can morph into all these different things. So like you can be a knight, a rat, a slug, an archer, a monk, a horse, right? Like you can just kind of change and you can change on the fly depending on which way you want to go with things. But then it gives you the ability to take movements and attacks from one character and put them onto another character. So then you can start customizing things. And I think from a game design perspective, That's really impressive and really cool to see those things just kind of work. Like it was just fluid with the way that the combinations actually worked and was really fun to play around with. Like I remember playing as the slug who has a um, kind of a passive ability of causing slow on other characters if they walk through your trail. Uh, And then he's also ranged because he cries and shoots his tears out at you. Right. So it's like kind of like, you know, Binding of Isaac style, like weird attacks. 
But then I threw uh, the archer's arrows, which are poison tip. So I was hitting with like two different types of range attacks, moving away from people, slowing them and poisoning them. And that was one of the first early uh, combinations I tried. And I was like, man, this thing just works. Like this is just really clever design that it was just there. Now, like I will say that it did kind of get a little grindy at some points, right? Where you're just trying to get extra abilities and level up the characters to unlock more things. But it was really enjoyable throughout the whole thing. And it's a very fast paced game. So it's just a lot of fun from art style to the game design itself to just the writing. It, very clever design, I would say. And a lot of fun for sure. I I actually really enjoyed this game when I played it. Uh, I don't exactly know why I fell off of it. I think because uh, my friend I was playing with kind of lost interest in it, I think for like UI reasons. And then I was like, well, damn, because I was in his world, you know, progression doesn't save over to mine. And I'm like, do I really want to, you know, replay all this? Because we got kind of far just in that one run, you know, we were a few hours in. So I'm like, do I want to do this? And it's a very enjoyable game though, from what I played and I have gone back to it like by myself. Mm-hmm. And I, I was surprised by this game. Cause when it came out, I didn't really know what it was. I saw the icon on game pass and I'm like, what is this? Like I saw it was by Drinkbox, which I know my error last week. This is the studio that did uh, the Guacamelee games, which I adored mm-hmm. uh, back in the day. So, I mean, the humor is there and I really like the idea behind this, like the shape shifting and the different abilities, like playing with someone else is a lot of fun with this game. And I'm also enjoying it by myself as well. But I think when it comes to like, say a co-op game this year, this game is definitely up there. And there's, there's been a, a quite a few good co-op games this year, but I think this one is maybe the, more expansive one that I've enjoyed, but I definitely <laughs> think co-op. this is a I really good be game. Really fun. It'd be really fun playing this co-op. I've been playing it by myself, but the it would be like as I was playing it every once in a while, it would just be mm-hmm. like uh, the UI would pop up like two player press start to join. I'm like, why is that there if it hmm. knows I'm playing single player? So that was a little confusing. I was like, who's trying to get in my game? But <laughs> that's kind of creepy. <laughs> it, it was a little creepy. <laughs> Whereas like, uh, what? <laughs> but I think that's just a natural thing. It usually happens whenever I go into dungeons. It'll be like two player enter. I'm like, hmm. That's weird. And to start the game, it asks you like to take off the controllers and play it as two player. So like it really feels like they want you to play it as a co-op game. So that was a little confusing at first. <laughs> but yeah, still fun. Oh, boy. Where to next? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Let's go with... You know what? Screw it. I was going to kind of save this for last, but I want to... Because primarily my list this year are indie titles. Big shocker, I know. I feel like most years that's kind of what it is, especially for, you know, this... You know, our channel, it's usually focusing more on it but Mm -hmm. you know there's always good triple a's that come out and this year i felt like 
there were a bunch that came out, but for me, I I feel like as I'm getting older in my gamer age, I <laughs> I don't know if the hype's there much for AAA games. I kind of feel like they're a good movie almost. Like they're like, oh, I'm having my popcorn. I'm gonna sit back and enjoy this ride, but it's like not, you know, mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, for me, it was kind of. When I look at the three kind of AAA games this year that kind of stuck out to me, you know, it was hard picking between Elden Ring, God of War, or Horizon. And as I kind of like thought about it more, Horizon, while it was a very beautiful game, it just didn't feel much of an evolution. God of War Ragnarok, it's... It didn't suck me in like the first game mm-hmm. or the 2018. And I feel like I'm kind of in the minority with this take because I know a lot of people say they felt more in touch with this game. And there were certain parts of this game I really liked a lot. Like the the growth of Kratos, the the combat being more intuitive. It There were so many things this game did right, but it's weird that I just didn't get really sucked into it. There was nothing back there in my mind being like, I can't wait to go home and play this and experience the story. Like honestly, like being able to talk about it with a friend or like other people was the main driving force Mm. uh, and to not get spoiled. And to me, like it's still a really good game. You know, it's a great game for triple A's this year. You know, it it was really good. But for me, if it comes down to maybe a triple A game, that's the best. And I feel like, you know, copying everybody else in this world about their top 10, you know, Elden Ring is definitely my top. Mm -hmm. And it, I kind of knew it would be even before it came out because before this, I didn't really have experience with Souls games that much. I played a little bit here and there of them, but I never actually completed one. So this was my first. Oh, really? And that I beat, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, afterwards, I ended up going through Bloodborne, beating it, going through Dark Souls 1, beating it, and then I started Dark Souls 2. But mm-hmm. with Elden Ring, it was so magical. Um, that feeling of awe and wonder that a lot of people probably got from playing Breath of the Wild is what I felt. See, when I played Breath of the Wild, I didn't, I guess maybe for the first hour, I felt that like, wow, this world's huge. I want to explore every nook and cranny. I want to like find out what happened. But then that went away because I felt like there wasn't enough. Mm. But with Elden Ring, there was enough lore through the weapons, through the items, through the 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 small chit-chat between the characters. And the world was just so beautiful that it hit for me. Um, that minimal style really worked. And with a game, sometimes open world-like, I try to, if I start getting lost, I start maybe looking at like, oh, where where should I go next? Like, I'll just look it up real quick. Like, what should I be doing instead? Mm -hmm. With this game, I didn't. I was like, I'm just going to explore everything. And I think it, I didn't even beat, um, I didn't go 
past the castle until I don't know, I feel like 20 hours. Like I really explored all Limgrave and that southern area so much because I loved it. And it I feel like experiencing that game with like the rest of the world at the same time was so magical because it was like every day you'd go on YouTube and I'm like looking up a build and there'd be like three new builds and people would be like tweaking it and going through it. I'm like, this is so damn cool. Like it's cool. Like talking to people about ideas and thoughts, you know, before a souls game gets gatekeepy, you know, cause we can look back at souls games and some people get very stubborn about certain things, but this was still fresh. It was such an experience. And I don't want to say because of the pandemic and we're all like locked in, but you know, it was kind of magical experiencing that with so many other people. And the, the idea that every day people were finding, here's this new weapon I found in this little chest, or here's a lore drop. And it's like, it was such an experience and you know it i truly love the game a lot like i i thought it was fantastic you know i'm i feel like i'm not going to say too much different than most other people when they talk about this but it it just felt good it it made me like souls games like in a way that i knew i would like them but it made it approachable you know i yes i played with summons i played you know, there were times I did cheese bosses, but it was a learning experience. And I think this is my takeaway from it is that even though I might have like say cheese some bosses, it taught me the mechanics. And once I learned those mechanics, I was like, well, I'll take this into Bloodborne next. Mm. Went into Bloodborne. It the game felt easier. Uh and then I was like, okay, I'm gonna take this in the Dark Souls one. That game was even easier. Uh and I you know, once I learned you know, because it's much harder to cheese and do stuff in all the other Souls games. I had I already knew the mechanics, so I relate relied more on my skill rather than a cheap method, and it just worked because I was able to practice it in Elden Ring more. You know, it's more open. I can fight things better, whereas like my Dark Souls, you have corridors and stuff. And to me. The different regions, the world, the characters, it was just, ah, I love it. Like, I, it's a game that I could go back to, but knowing how much time I spend in it, I want to experience more games. Mm -hmm. And, but I think it's a game that, you know, as long as you're not like off put by Souls games, I think everyone that's into that should play it. It's, it's definitely an experience. I mean, look, it, it brought me into playing it. You know, like I've played Souls likes, but this really changed the game for me. Yeah. I I mean, I've played Dark Souls 2, beat that, uh, played Demon Souls back in the day, right? And I've, I haven't played mm-hmm. Elden Ring yet, and I've been wanting to, but I do have one important question that I think a lot of the fans out there want to know. Were you a valiant warrior? Carrying your blade, or were you a filthy magician running away? I was a both, actually. Uh-huh. Uh, so I was faith, strength, or faith, dex built. So basically, I 
most in the beginning of the game, I didn't use spells. I, I dual wielded scythes. Nice. Um, and then later on, I had it where I'd have uh, my blade and I would shoot lightning bolts out of my hand. And primarily, I'd be physical, you know, unless like magic really seemed worth it from a distance. But it, I actually really liked playing that mixed route. You know, I mean, yeah, magicians, I, I would just see them melt shit, but yeah, with your um, Kamehameha at the end there. Yeah, <laughs> seriously, I'm like it. That makes the game too easy, you know, mm-hmm. like having that mixed build was so cool because I was like, I feel like I'm in an anime or something like I'm able to still cast magic, but I can still use this big old sword like. It was. It was so damn cool. I I wish I could go back and just be like katana build and you know go all crazy with that. But yeah, I think I think you would really like it uh, if yeah. you played it. I, I'm gonna definitely be playing that one. I, I'm so behind on games, honestly. Like when you brought up God of War, I'm just playing twenty uh, the 2018 version right now, which mm-hmm. I love and adore. And I'm kind of curious too about that with the whole like it didn't grab you as much. A lot of people are saying that the new one is a lot of the same, right? And I've seen playthroughs mm-hmm. of it a little bit, not like too far into the game, only like maybe the first four hours or something like that. But it does seem like a lot of the mechanics are the same as far as the 2018 version to this one, which is nice because it is a sequel, right? But you probably are expecting a little bit more, right? At least they're not like completely, they don't have to have completely revamp the whole thing, but give you a little bit more this time because it is the newer title, right? And that's kind of what you would expect mm-hmm. from a sequel. So I'm curious if that might be a reason why some people aren't as hyped as they sh- they were with 2018, because 2018 just feels like a brand new experience. And if it's just I... more of the same, then maybe. I feel like you hit it right there is that it was a brand new experience. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we never experienced a God of War like that. Yeah. You know, they were all very actiony and edgy, whereas this was more mature mm-hmm. and this game definitely does feel like more of the same. And there are some new things, you know, it's nice having a little more control over Artreus and the party I and mean, being boy. able to do their skill tree. <laughs> like it, it was cool. Like it's nice having that kind of customization and the combat I think was actually something that I really enjoyed about the new one. Mm-hmm. It made me want to get in the fights, even though I felt like there were too many fights sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I think my biggest gripe with it is that, you know, you get into like these kind of big open world parts and it's just like, I don't want to have to fight through these different like little swarms of enemies like i just want to explore or go more with the story and it's like right. there was it just felt like it wasn't tightened enough mm, interesting yeah no i mean going back to elden ring because that's the main game here that we're talking about like i yeah that game is fantastic and i remember playing through the dark souls games like especially two god i suck so many hours into that game because it was so difficult, so challenging. But there's a weird thing with these Souls games that like the challenge is so like the payoff is so great, right? Like you you feel like you mm-hmm. really did conquer something in those titles where you never feel like you're massively overpowered, where you're just melting things and it's just running through the world. Where like these kind of games are great because if you're not paying attention, even the little guys can just wreck your day. 
in just a couple hits, yep. which is it's nice. I mean, yeah, sure, that's stressful for a lot of people. And I remember with the Souls games, I had to take some breaks because I was like, man, this is just a lot. But don't take too long of a break because then you're going to lose that flow. And I think that's one of the really crazy things about those games is that like you really I don't know. It's kind of funny. It reminds me of uh, playing Monster Hunter World as well, where it's um like you you find a flow and a rhythm. And when you get out of it, then it's really hard to get back into it. Like you have to kind of dedicate some time to that. Right. So and I'm kind of curious. It's like Elden Ring is the Monster Hunter World for the Souls games. Is it more inviting? Was it? And was it like kind of a little bit not saying it's an easy game, but like, is it a little bit easier and less, you know, devastating on the player so that they can really get into it and get a larger fan base going? Is that something that you might have felt hmm. as well in the game to maybe make it as popular as it is? Because, I mean, the Souls games have always been popular, but this one, it just blew up like tremendously. So that's what I'm kind of curious about if that that might be a thing right like is it it or is it just more i guess uh what's the word more inviting of an experience as far as the gameplay goes is it easier to just kind of grasp onto you where it, it that, that's why i'm kind of curious about this game but we'll see what happens uh, i'm definitely going to be checking it out and i'll i'll give you an evaluation of it and probably be next year because <laughs> yeah. i'm so slow to playing these titles but yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to start diving down my RPG hole because <laughs> oh. basically the rest of the games that I have are RPGs. And I went pretty heavy in the RPG world for this year. And I feel like there were some amazing titles out. But do you remember way back when in March, there was a little tiny game that came out called Triangle Strategy? Oh, gosh. It's crazy to oh, yes. it's crazy to think that that game came out in 2022. Like I really feel like I played that game so long ago with how many other titles I've played through already, but this game was it, I don't know, it is a little hard for me to get really into a tactics game. Uh, it has to be like a really solid game. And as far as the story goes, this caught me from the start. It's basically Game of Thrones, the game, right? And I, I loved the whole aspect of your actions and decisions throughout the game actually kind of tweak the world that you're living in. They give you different quests to go on and a slightly different paths to go. But for the most part, like, obviously, it's a game. So, like, they kind of have to get to a certain endpoint, right? Like, but it really does change how the people look at you, how the NPCs kind of interact with you and what they're saying in the world, which I thought was really interesting. Character development was amazing. Uh, and I haven't even talked about the art style yet. Like, I love this art style. Ever since Octopath Traveler uh, kind of started this trend of this high-def 3D pixel graphic style, I am in love with that. I think every single pixel game it should be that like they really need to remake the the um the original final fantasies as that and i think that would be a much more enjoyable experience to to you know play those games but triangle strategy just did that it took what octopath did expanded on it and made it an even bigger more powerful world like that you felt like you actually had impact behind and the character development that you, of your your party members i thought was amazing right like the fact that 
you had characters that were best friends turned enemies if you went down a certain path that like he became like a vigilante on the side right like it just there's a lot of really cool little aspects behind this and it was such a joy to play through this title and i actually do want to like reliving it while like doing some research for this episode i want to play through it again just because i loved just the characters alone and interacting with everybody and like going through the towns and talking with everyone and just exploring those things and thinking of the best strategy in order to you know handle a certain fight or whatever it was right like there's so many different ways to tackle things like there's one uh particular battle where you actually have traps set up around the world or around your little battle arena that you have and there's a you can either set off all the traps in the village, which means that you're burning down your people's homes, which would create a lot of turmoil and it would be very difficult. Uh, you even have to talk to some NPCs before the fight starts of like a little girl that is worried about her home and doesn't know what, like what's going to happen next because everyone's setting up these firebombs all around her house. And if you don't do it, if you don't set off the traps, the fight is very difficult. And I did that version where I didn't want to set off a single trap. And the people actually praise you for that. They they say, like, obviously, the fight does cause some damage to the city because it's a fight. You're in a war. But knowing that I protected their homes, I felt it felt good. Right. Like it was a very interesting concept for a game that I really did enjoy. I like whenever games give you that option of like, this is going to be a hell of a lot harder. But if you want to do the morally, quote unquote, right thing to do, you got to fight your ass off, right? And you got to put everything you know, all your skills to the test here and like get ready for the long haul, right? And it was, I, I love that aspect of it. It was such a cool, cool game for sure. <sighs> so delicious. It's a game that I was so hyped for when I first saw the images of it. Cause I mean, this was like when we didn't see enough games in that style, you know, like I, like you, I love that art style. I know surprisingly a lot of people don't, which is kind of weird. I was reading a lot of people kind of saying they dislike the style. I, how? I don't I think when it's, how. I, for me, I don't like the way Octopath does it, where it feels like a fisheye, where it's like, mm, yeah, there's like a big uh, vignette. It's it's like looking through on. a macro lens. Yeah, like that feels weird. But with like Triangle, it looks good. You know, I'm excited for the the remake of the original Dragon Quest games in that style as well. Like I'm, I'm excited for that too. Mm -hmm. But. You know, with Triangle, I remember playing the demo. I really liked it, and I was really stoked for it. But playing things with the Switch, it it's hard for me to do it just because I like the convenience of my PlayStation Xbox. I like the trophies, achievements, because then it kind of pushes me to do more. Mm. And also just Switch games never really going on sale is kind of a, That's a, hard a bummer for me, yeah. too. But it's it's a game I still want to experience at some point because, like, how you said it was good. And it, quite a lot of people said it was good. It just kind of, like, came and went. Yeah. And kind of surprised because I remember a lot of people, like, saying really good things about it. And, you know, 
as someone who still loves like JRPGs, uh, I feel like I haven't played that many new ones mm. uh, in a while, especially strategy games like this, even though I know there's been a bunch of good ones that came out this year. But the I feel like also the time, you know, for me, like it's kind of time consuming, but I don't know. I think it's still something I want to experience at some point because it just it it sounds cool and it it sounds ambitious compared to what a lot of other games Square Enix has come out with recently. Mm-hmm. You know, I think between Triangle and Diofield Chronicles are the two that I'm like most interested in Is that, that, that came out this year. One? Uh, mm, no, right? No, it's the kind of RTS. Right, right. There's a card one that game. they also came out with this year that was a little interesting. Was that the dungeon crawler one? Yeah, I can't remember the name of that one, but it, it caught my eye. I definitely want to try it out, but it's also cards, so. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no. You got another RPG? I, I think, honestly, before we go into it, like, this is a game that you would really, really enjoy. I, I, I know that this is definitely a game right up your alley, for sure. I get freaked out by choices, though, especially when there are like that many like yeah, angles to it. It's pretty heavy. The choices too. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh god. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll throw another RPG out there because that's all I got left, honestly. <laughs> but this one definitely isn't going to surprise anyone. But it's a, a remake, so I guess I don't know if it's still classified. I'm going to say it classifies <laughs> as yeah. As, why not? Uh, it's a Tactics Ogre Reborn. That game is fucking fun. It's so good. It, it's just a really, really enjoyable experience. It it takes everything from the original title and just breathes new life into it. And I love being able to actually see it in a modern day setting, right? And like just being able to get all these new recruits and figure that stuff out and just try and just explore the world itself. I, I loved everything about it. And the animations of like the big moves and all that, like the updates to these things are just fantastic. And I will say that there's some really nice quality of life things that got added in, like uh, being able to you know, kind of revert back a few turns if you didn't like the outcome of something that was really nice. And it does give people who aren't used to tactics games uh, a little bit of a breather because they're able to be like, oh, crap, all my guys died. Let me go back a few turns. And let's fix that outcome real fast, right? Whereas before it was, well, let's wash this and then we're going to go and try this again because we just ruined everything by, you know, not turning my character the right way. So he got critted on, right? So it is pretty cool. I will say that one thing that um, a lot of people might not know about that, about the whole turn back time stuff, is if you do not change where your character's moving, right? Like, let's say you do, like, a move and then an attack, right? But you move to the Mm -hmm. same exact spot and you do the same exact attack because you're hoping for not a miss. The RNG is going to stay the same. You have to actually change that original out or, or choice. So, like, if you, instead of moving to the left of someone, move to the right of them, and then that RNG is going to then change. So you can't just keep doing the same thing and hope for the better outcome, supposedly the RNG stays the same or it's way less likely to change uh, if it does change at all. So I thought that was a little interesting there. So, uh, but it makes sense, right? Like if the outcome didn't work out, then obviously you want to try something new, try something different. So, 
but it is a it is a really fun game. Uh, just a really good, just a good experience with a nice little tactics game. I mean, obviously, Triangle Strategy did something different where it brought in such a strong and impactful story to the idea of tactics based provi- uh, games, which I think would maybe kind of push Triangle Strategy as a better game, in my opinion. Uh, but Tactics Cover is just a lot of fun to play. It's just a really enjoyable experience. And you can't, I mean, it's it's the granddaddy of tactics games, right? Like it, so many people pay homage to this title or say this is the reason why they got into these games to begin with. So it's it's kind of hard to really knock that game. And it shows. It definitely shows. Yeah, it's, I have a, soft spot for tactics ogre uh especially the game boy advance title uh, i have very fond memories of it and i haven't had a chance to play this this has actually been on my list of wanting to play because i i love the series like it i've played a few of them um i started let us cling together but didn't get too far into it but i i really enjoy it and i'm glad that they did this you know i'm I'm kind of surprised they didn't do Final Fantasy Tactics before doing this one, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it it's cool seeing this series get another little chance because I feel like for people that really like strategy RPGs, I feel like the franchise has never really faltered. It's always been pretty strong, mm-hmm. even in later releases, but... Yeah, this this one looks cool, and I, the quality of life changes and other things they updated. It's it's fascinating, you know. It, it definitely looks better than kind of what they did with the Front Mission One remake mm-hmm. they just put out. Um, which I'm, you know, I'm interested in playing that too. But I think Tactics just looks, I don't know, the most appealing out of all the strategy RPGs that really came out this year. Right. Yeah, it's it's a great experience for sure. Uh, let's see. Let's have we take a little break from the RPGs because I know <laughs> yeah. the next one you're going to talk about and you're going to be very passionate about. Oh, so, yeah. Just a little bit. Um, just a little bit. I honestly think the next one I'm going to be talking about might be my game of the year. Damn. Yeah. I it, to me it definitely I've only played a few hours of it and I, I enjoyed what I, I played of it but we'll, I'll save my comments on it later too because mm. um, I surprisingly have a few more to go uh, so I want to bring up ooh, which one should be next maybe the one that I won't go too far in depth because I don't want to spoil it but Tunic mm. uh, this was a game that I was interested in the first time I saw it uh, I feel like that was a few years ago. I remember you bringing up that you were interested in it too at one point. Yeah, I still want to play it. Still haven't yet, though. It's it's made by one person, uh, which we seems like a common trend uh, with a lot of games this year is that it's one person or two. You know, I think Vampire Survivors was I think two people. Um, I'm surprised that's two some people, of the games. Honestly, were... <laughs> not gonna lie. Yeah, like games like Tunic and things like that and. The other one we're going to be talking about later, uh, like the small team surprised me where it's like, oh, my gosh, that's so much stuff to do. And then you look at Vampire Survivors and it's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Tunic, it 
when I when I first came out on Game Pass, I was stoked about it because I'm like, oh, this looks so cute. Like I really want to play it. I played it um like few like an hour or two in, um, without spoiling anything, basically. You know, you you wake up in this little area, uh, your little fox who looks kind of like Link with the green outfit and everything. Mm-hmm. And you have your tasks with ringing two bells. Um, once you ring those, more of the game opens up. And it kind of feels more like a Zelda kind of game with you having to collect certain things. And in the, all in the meanwhile, you know, it's kind of like Elden Ring in the sense that nothing is really told or spoken to you about stuff. Like no one's dropping lore on you. And there's nothing really to find that has lore except for these manual pages you find. And basically, there's these pages spread around the world that when you pick them up, uh, they get added to a little book. And in the book, you know, it has images of tips, you know, item descriptions. It also has things about the story. It also has maps for all the dungeons and the world map. Like, it... It's a manual, you know, it has everything in it. it. It reminds me of old school manuals and it's cute because half of it is in English. The other half is in some special language, mm. but so that's kind of like all you have to go on other than like, I need to ring these bells or I need to collect these keys. Like that's, that's really it. Uh, you don't really get to know what the story is until basically the end. And even that, I when I was looking up what other people thought about it, there's a few different interpretations, which I won't really get into because I feel like it might spoil, but I will bring a hint of what I what I think kind of works for it. But hmm. before that, I want to say I think out of almost any game on this list, Tunic probably has some of the best music. I've heard in a game this year. Mm. Uh, it's so damn good. Uh, it's ambient. It's electronic. It, it has. It touches every different like emotion and theme and the, the settings. It just works. It's in that sense. It's really good. The combat's not too bad. I I will admit because I wanted to kind of finish it uh, for this episode. I did use God mode a little bit later into the game. Uh, and it actually made it even more enjoyable because it's not that it's hard, but there's certain times that you're just kind of like, really, I rolled, but I still got hit. Like it, mm. there were times that just felt kind of off-putting, and it pissed me off having to go back. Uh, in that sense, but it was still a really enjoyable game, and it's kind of a bummer that I feel like it was another game that came and went. Like, I've seen some people talk highly of it, but a lot of people just didn't play it or they gave up. Mm -hmm. And something I found interesting is I played this, like, maybe a week ago. Like, I I finished it. I I got kind of far into it and then stopped. But uh, on the Xbox, you know, it's it's not as detailed as the PlayStation's trophy system where at any uh, rarity it tells you the percentage of players that have it. But after you ring the two bell towers and you start collecting these other things, I noticed just from collecting the first key, only 9% of people had that achievement. Wow. So that means that most people stopped after 
between the second bell tower and that big boss that's in between. And when I looked up maybe why, a lot of people find that boss incredibly hard compared to anything they had faced at that point. So a lot of people stop playing, which is sad because... That's a shame. Yeah, because I feel like that game really opens up after that. Like, I'm like sitting there thinking, like, why didn't people just turn on God mode for that one boss and turn it back off after? Because I really like this game a lot. And it didn't... It didn't suck me in completely like some of these other games, but I really enjoyed it. Like when I was playing it again, I played most of it in one day again. Like it was one of the days I had a lot of time and I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to play it and let's do it. And it's, (sighs) I think because we see these games somewhat often, you know, I think, I think this was around the time Death's Door kind of came out too. Mm. And I think both games almost kind of canceled each other out because I remember people being really hyped for Death's Door as well. And I was actually really interested in too. But just like Tunic, I played the first boss and I was like, I'll play something else for now, even though I was enjoying it. With Tunic, it's a game that you know, you already have to be into that minimal story explanation kind of game uh, to enjoy, which I feel like already is not really like a mainstream thing. Mm-hmm. Put in the difficulty of the combat and later on some of the puzzles. And I can see why a lot of people would be worried about this. You know, a lot of people say late game is reminding them of Fez, which at times I can see. Uh, there's these fairies that you can collect and it's interesting because the lore, and this is what I'm going to hint at later, is that in order to unlock these fairies that are in like slider puzzles, you have to use your holy cross. Your holy cross is your D-pad. Mm. Um, and I guess what I'm hinting at is that a lot of the games this year that I noticed have hints of Christianity or kind of like a religious idea or theme behind it either being critical of it or using it metaphorically you know we saw that in immortality we saw that in uh pentiment obviously uh we're gonna see that in another game i'm gonna talk about uh after this and it's it's an interesting theme that was brought up a lot in games and maybe not intentionally but i it was something that I noticed, and actually, um, I was reading some other people kind of like noticed it too. But, you know, it's fascinating where this game kind of goes towards the end. And the amount that's left to interpretation is so interesting. And I think that's probably my favorite part of this game is that, you know, when I looked up what people thought about the ending, People, there were like a few like ones that really stood out that quite a few people agreed with, but they were so different from each other. I was like, wow, this one really works. And then I read the other opinion. I'm like, damn, this makes sense too. And it's fascinating because I feel like my thoughts of it were one of those or kind of a mixture of both. And it's a really great game that, you know, doesn't hold your hand. It it feels kind of like an old school game, and it's just nicely put. You know, going back, 
it being made by one person, that's phenomenal. It's crazy. You know, it's, it plays so damn well, but I can see why people would be, um, scared of it because it does get pretty damn hard. But, you know, I, I liked it. You know, it's still in Game Pass for people out there that like to play on there. If not, I think it just came out on PlayStation. Um, so I think it deserves more recognition for what it's doing. And I really think the ending and all of it is good. Um, I really liked it. Yeah. But um, you didn't get a chance to play it, though, did you? No, this is definitely a game that I've been looking at for a long time. And it's always been like mm-hmm. a one to go back to for inspiration. Uh, just based on like the the art style is amazing. Of course, it's Zelda like, right? But I think the UI is really, really interesting um, with mm-hmm. the cubes as being like your health and your stamina bar. The way it's presented, I really do I love that because of the whole isometric view. It just kind of fit really, really well. And I, I instead of it just being like a static bar on the side, it actually has some some depth to it, which I think is beautiful. And then I love the fact that there's a lot of mystery hidden behind it. And you unlock things by like basically you're just unlocking the manual as you're playing this game, which I think is really interesting so that you can actually learn how to play the game. Right. <laughs> like it's kind of a funny way of doing things, but it's it's really clever. And once again, one person like that's like insane to me. The amount of work that goes into game development just to make things run smoothly and to get your message across so clean, like clearly that's so impressive to me and just like kudos to them for doing that. It's just, uh, yeah, amazing stuff. So it's definitely one that I, I will be trying out. I did try out Death's Door. I feel like I should have, between the two, I definitely should have went with Tunic instead. Like like you said, Death's Door <laughs> was fun, but after like a short amount of time, I was like, okay, I get it, right? Like I, it just didn't really like draw me in, but I feel mm-hmm. like Tunic probably could have just with the art style alone. And just finding out, like, there's a little bit more mystery behind it, which I think is always nice in in games. So, I don't know. It's definitely one I will be trying out. I feel like the look of that game, when when we first were talking to each other back in the day, it feels like, and you were talking about wanting to make a game, I feel like this art style is a lot like what I could see, like, how you describe that game to me like this yeah like instead of a fox it's a cat though yeah you know now i i totally agree this is definitely when i was looking at inspiration for games when i really wanted to make that one in particular um actually mm-hmm. that might be a fun episode to go over like game ideas that we've had and what we want to work on that'd be kind of interesting yeah i'd love that but um anyway this was definitely one that i was constantly looking at because the isometric view at that time was still very new and fresh and it was so interesting to me. And I love the way you can create depth and things like that. Now, like some isometric games, it just creates frustration <laughs> because <laughs> you don't know exactly where your character is sitting. Uh, so it is kind of interesting. But I definitely I could see the world that I want to create in this style of, of that tunic has in place. So, yeah, it's definitely one that I, I will be going to not just for enjoyment, but for research as well. Another title uh, that I really, really liked um, that also kind of hinting what I was talking about with religion to an extent that plays a part in this game. And this is a game that when it came out, I was very interested in because I love cyberpunk settings. Mm -hmm. And 
I'll play any of them just to experience that kind of world. But this game did it differently. It it didn't try to glamorize it, even though like, you know, a cyberpunk setting isn't very glamorous, right? It's a hyper capitalistic civilization, which usually like sucks for most people to live in. And Narco was a game that really, really made you feel it. Um, it's set in Norco, Louisiana. So, you know, I feel like this is kind of the first time we see a southern area portrayed in a sci-fi setting. Mm-hmm. But Norco, Louisiana is a little small oil refining town. Uh, and it actually it is that in real life, too. Uh, the Shell Company is situated there. But in this game, it's called Shield. And basically, you play as a girl named Kay who moved away from Norco uh, to like California because uh, Arizona was having a civil war and all this. It was very interesting how they kind of discussed like how Arizona was always at war, like the planes were always on fire and stuff. But you come back to Norco because your mom passed away from cancer. And you want to meet your, you know, see your brother uh, who, when you arrive, isn't there. And basically it turns into, at first, like, oh, I need to find my brother. And, you know, you see you party up with your uh, robot uh, family friend and kind of go on a hunt for your brother. And the, the story shifts between also you playing as your mom in the past. Because people, you start realizing that there's more to the story than just finding your brother. You realize what your mom was into. And basically, your mom was like found a UFO at the lake. Um, this is early game, so it's not spoilers or nothing. But basically, you're trying to figure out what it was and the meaning behind it. And this game is so damn good i i know that most of the games that i'm talking about are very narrative heavy other than citizen sleeper i think this is my second favorite uh narrative game uh this game's awesome uh the humor is funny it's there's times where they just don't take it seriously uh there's a cult in the game called uh well, the cultists call themselves Garrett's. So everyone has a name tag that says Garrett. And they're basically all dressed up like Best Buy employees. They have blue polos and khakis. And, <laughs> you know, that's it, it's interesting seeing like this world kind of like very similar to our world in a sense, but just dystopian. And the themes it tackles and the the views that your character and supporting characters have on others it it was interesting the the game definitely takes a wild ride i would say halfway through or you know at the the last quarter of the game and by wild ride i mean i was not prepared for where it was taking me uh that's so damn good like i I've been kind of falling in love with these kind of games, like not so much point and click, but like these narrative style games. And this one was just, 
it was so good. The music's fantastic too. The the art is great, like great pixel art. And I really like this game a lot. Like it's definitely, you know, when I look at my top games this year, and if I had to do a top five, you know, this would be in it. Like easy. Because it it just worked so well. The environmental storytelling was so damn good and it was so descriptive of so many things. It made me feel like I was like living there or like it actually happened in the real world. And I think it's a game more people should really experience if they even have a, you know, itch of liking these games. Cause this isn't really going to be a game. I can see people like, bringing up a lot i feel like when it came out people mentioned it but it kind of just like a few of these other games we've talked about got brushed under the rug and it's a shame because this game is really damn good for what it is uh but you know another game pass game and it's it's fantastic i highly recommend this game yeah the art style alone is super interesting. And I think it's really funny that we're getting so many more narrative heavy games. I think that's really mm-hmm. interesting that the a lot of game devs are going down this path. But they're showing the depth and how far you can take this style of game. Like it started with, for us at least, at the show, started with Disco, right? And then we go to Citizen mm-hmm. and then we got Norco. Like they are very powerful games. And it, it really they're able to tell a story in a very interesting way and in a better way. Like you, you touched on it early on in this episode as well, talking about how a lot of AAA games just feel like a really good movie. Well, like these feel like just a great book to curl up with, right? Like just one to really soak into the lore and just dive into this world and get fully immersed where AAA games are kind of more turn your brain off and just enjoy the shining lights. Right. Like these mm-hmm. are, have such an impact and something to say that I think is really, I, I really do think it's amazing that more people are starting to gravitate towards this style of game, which I, I really do enjoy. Yeah. I feel like people are finding ways to make these games more appealing to people that maybe don't like that old school point and click mm-hmm. and they're doing it really well. You know, Citizen Sleeper made it fun. This game makes it interesting. And, you know, I was kind of looking at some other games people really like this year. And Curse of the Gold Idol was one that I, it's on my list to play, but like people say great things about that. And that's another narrative point and click game. And I'm like, damn, like there's a lot of good ones this year. Like I feel like in the past few years, we never really saw that many that are in like a top 10 list. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's always something else. Like I'm it makes me happy seeing these kind of games get the love they deserve because it's always been a style of game that's never never been like up there. You know, unless it's like the one that stands out above everything else, but it's like I mean, just look at Citizen Sleeper. It it's always like top 3 in everyone's list this year. It's crazy to see these kind of games get the love, but I'm, I'm glad they are. Mm-hmm. Same. Uh, I think 
for my final game, and this was kind of hard to narrow it down. Um, there was a lot of great games this year. You know, I look at Teardown with its physics was phenomenal. Um, if I had a bigger list, I would definitely be talking about that too, because insane what the future holds for like voxel-based physics at least. Uh, Weird West is a game I feel like got crapped on when it came out because people didn't realize what the game was. Um, and, you know, for me, I think my last pick might be my game of the year. Nice. It's very hard because between this, you know, Citizen Sleeper, Norco, it's hard to pick hell, even vampire survivors, but Signalis uh, blew me away. <laughs> I know I've been saying this about a few games, but this damn game was, I was surprised. Uh, I remember when it came out, I was kind of like, hmm, I'll just watch someone stream it. And then I started watching them stream and I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. I don't know if I'd be into it though, even though I used to like those kind of games. I hadn't played one in a while. Uh, for people out there that don't know, it plays a lot like the original Resident Evil, Silent Hill, you know, survival horror. Uh, basically, you're an android who, you know, wakes up in this chamber on a ship and, you know, everything is kind of destroyed around you. You don't know what's going on. Uh, there's replicants, clones, androids, and basically the story is supposed to be where um, most androids have a partner uh, that they kind of need to be around in order to thrive. Mm. And you're separated from your partner. Um, each partner and robot has a obsession or an object that they are happy with, and a lot of these androids kind of lost that. And there's a lot going on in this game that, you know, if I unpacked some of it, I would spoil some and try and keep it dodging around it, mm -hmm. which, you know, thankfully for us and timing, it means I won't be going into an probably an hour long description of the game. <laughs> but the how deep this game gets is very surprising. Um, it's made by a two person team uh, from Germany. And I say that I only bring up the Germany part is because a lot of the game is in German. Um, <laughs> not the actual dialogue, but a lot of the stuff that flashes on screen. There's a lot of German in it. But it's not in the sense where it's like going to get in the way of you understanding anything about the game. But so you're in this bunker. Well, you're in the ship. And then you, the next place you go, it's like underground. And the survival horror aspect of this game is so damn good. You know, it it looks like it's going to have tank controls because it's a static camera, but it it plays kind of like a twin stick shooter in the sense that you have fully, you know, control over which direction you want to look at and go. It it has that limited inventory that we're used to with Resident Evil. You can only have up to 6 items. Uh that's even including things you equip which kind of sucks because a flashlight will take up one spot and then, you know, you have your gun, a box of ammo, and that's already half your inventory. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of inventory management. Um, the There's different kind of like acts in between. Uh, basically, you do an area and then a cutscene will play. And the cutscenes don't really explain a whole lot. Uh, I feel like this is a game that 
to really understand it, you have to play it multiple times. But the thing about this game that really captured me was the emotion. You know, you you go through these rooms and you see dying androids, right? People that are kind of like you, and they've just kind of lost hope. Whereas the enemies in this game are kind of like infected versions of them. And from the screams, which I'm playing this game with headphones, and which I think is the best way to play it, because there's so many interesting sounds in this game. Like, this game sounds freaky with the sounds. Like, it feels like you're in these dark spaces, and it's so good. It has that PlayStation 1 look to it with the character models and the environment and the storytelling is... I don't want to say it reminds me of Evangelion, but it's definitely in that kind of like avant-garde, kind of deep, dark, you know, existential threat to your mind. Mm -hmm. Like it's if you dive down the rabbit holes of people's explanations of the game and ending, it's crazy where this game goes. And, you know, without spoiling anything, it, it makes you, you know, your character questions them themselves their life you know as an android and all this and it's i feel like they did it in a way that almost felt more relatable compared to say near that tried to do that as well obviously near took it in a different direction with their discovery of you know ai and human stuff this felt more personal it felt it felt real mm. like the pain those characters felt you felt it just felt lifelike and the the fight to see your partner just it it pushed me and like this game like i like i said before i didn't think i would get into it the way i did because usually with these kind of games i play for a bit and then stop because you know i just need to get my fill but the the minimal story and the flashy like cutscenes between it the cutscenes felt so damn cinematic cinematic and cool like it it felt like i was watching anime or a really nice movie with the montages and it just felt so good i'm like damn two people did this like there's so much to it that is just like phenomenal and it's a bummer that i feel like this game doesn't get more love even though i'm seeing people praise it because, you know, Callisto Protocol came out around the same time and that game was marketed to death yeah. about being survival horror. And then what is it? Oh, it's like a, a space station boxing game. Yeah, like pretty much. You know, whereas this game is like true, like ode to the classics. Like for anybody that liked the classics, this is a no brainer to play this game. But even people that may not be into these kind of games, they, they make it approachable. You know, like it's not that difficult of a game where, you know, you can get through it. Um, I think I only died once the whole game and it, it wasn't difficult. So, I mean, if if these games freak you out, I would honestly say maybe find someone that does an explanation of the themes and stuff. Because the story and the ideas brought from it are so good that I think people should just kind of like understand it or think about it. Cause it, it feels like you're watching like a very thought, like thought provoking anime or something. And it's just, Oh my God, it's so good. <laughs> I, 
definitely surprised me. And I think it's going to be one of those indies that will be, you know, not remembered, like not like Shovel Knight status, but like one of the smaller indies that people really like that never blew up. I think it's going to be like that, you know, a few years down the line, people will remember this as like, not the next evolution of horror, you know, but it's definitely like, I feel like a perfected style mm. when it comes to that kind of game. Well, I'm sold 100%, honestly. So I, at first, like when you first brought it up a while ago, I was like, oh, that looks pretty cool. I've been watching some, a little bit of footage here and there. But hearing you talk about it and just the depth that this game has, I yeah, I, I want to play through this. And I think this definitely deserves a deep dive into it. So maybe be on the lookout for that in some future episodes, because I know that you would be yeah. more than happy to do that for sure. Because <laughs> oh, yeah. it, it looks really, really cool. It really does. And it is, while yes, it is very retro feeling, uh, it does it in a very modern way which i think is really nice um as far as the movement goes it does look very tanky but from what it sounds like it sounds like it's more fluid than that so it is nice to yeah it's like not tanky at all that's good it looks like it but it's not it's awesome nice. yeah so i'm definitely gonna have to check this one out for sure just to dive in because i want to know the, about this world i love anything with ai and questioning reality and human existence and all that stuff so this looks like it's right up my alley for sure all right, so I'm going to dive into probably my favorite game this year, and I just beat it yesterday, and it just came out, what, like a week ago, two weeks ago? <laughs> so uh, I definitely sucked a lot of time into this title. I was hooked from the start of this game, and yes, it is another JRPG, so you're welcome JRPG fans out there, uh, but I'm talking about Chained Echoes. Oh my gosh, this game was so good. Like everything about it was so phenomenal. The art style caught both of our eyes instantly, right? Like it just looked so good and it upholds that throughout the entire game. But then whenever you start unlocking characters and getting more people in your party, you know, classic JRPG style, you get way more people in your party than you can actually use, of course. So you have to find that perfect party synergy of what your play style is. And I, I just loved it. I loved exploring the worlds, everything there. Uh, the giant mech battles were really cool as well. Uh, so it's pretty cool. Uh, like partway through the game, maybe pretty early on, actually, uh, you get access to sky armors, which is basically Gundams that you get to fight in. And <laughs> every single fight that you go in, for the most part, uh, like when you're roaming around the map and things like that, there's certain areas that you can't call your sky armor down. But you can use those, which I think is really hilarious. So like you're fighting something that, you know, oh, it was a little challenging, but you were able to get through it. And then you come back later in your sky armor and you one shot it for like 7000 damage. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, that felt good. <laughs> but I, I liked the the adventure aspect of this. This is definitely one of those games that you want to explore everything. You want to talk to everyone and there's something in there for you, Chris, that you haven't gotten to and I haven't told you about yet, but I don't know if you know this, but there is a city building aspect to this. Slightly. I did not. Slightly. It's, it's, very, it's very minimal, but you do end up getting a base at one point that you need to get recruits in order to level it up. And in order to level it up, you find people around the world that you talk to that will then join your faction. 
And when they do, some of them actually unlock little tiny abilities that carry over throughout the game. So like there's these little crystal deposits that you go up to and they give you crystals that you can use to infuse your weapons. Well, one of the miners that you recruit to your, your town uh, actually yields one extra item from those crystal deposits now. So there's little things like that that make you want to explore the game more and more. And I will say from a game design perspective, the mechanics of this game are pretty phenomenal. For being a turn-based game, it really changed things up and it made it feel more active and a lot faster than any other turn-based game I played in a long time. So it has a system that's called the overdrive system that you can't just kind of button mash your way through these things. You can, but you run the risk of actually getting pretty wrecked. Uh, it is a very difficult game, I would say, as far as the fact that a lot of people hit you for so hard and you never have a lot of HP. Like you're not going to get to those 999 levels that you would in Final Fantasy games. Like this game, I, it, a lot of the characters only had like maybe 200 HP and that's with like plus 30% stuff on their equipment, right? And the enemies are still hitting for like 150 f per hit. So you have to be very strategic with the way you're doing things. And it, like I love that aspect of it. But with the overdrive system in place, uh, there's a bar at the top of the screen. It has a yellow, green, and then a red. And when you get to the green, that means that your characters have the best chances of you know lowering the damage done by your opponents. Uh, you do a little bit extra damage. Uh, but for every move you do, the bar moves slightly. Right. Uh, and if the attack or skill that you choose is white, then it moves your bar forward, which pushes you closer to the red. If you're in red, which is overdrive, then that means that you're going to be dealt extra damage to your characters. Right. So they're in a high risk situation. So you have to use moves that are yellow in order to lower your overdrive, which gives you a nice little balance, a sense of balance there and a nice little just add on for this game. But then now, the story. This story is amazing. It's so good, and it spans a pretty long time, actually. Um, and if you really want to get into the nitty-gritty, I'm not going to spoil anything. It spans, I don't know, like a few thousand years. <laughs> so it, like technically, it does, right? So it is a very interesting, very in-depth game that you can just... It's, dive into this world and find out everything that's going on. The character designs are phenomenal. The designs of the quote-unquote gods are beautiful. And I love, love, love the little touches that they did as far as the story goes with talking about actual modern-day things, right? And finding a way to make them in a fantastical setting with like issues with the church and little things like that and tyranny and people getting greedy. But what I will say, what really surprised me about this title, which I think kind of kept me going on it more and more, was that typically whenever you play a JRPG or a pixelated game, they aren't very adult, right, with the content and the conversations. And with this one being so bright and the character design itself, you wouldn't really expect it from this one. But it goes into some very adult conversations and they say some very... Like, I mean, the curse, right? So it's kind of funny to see Cartoon Pixels curse, right? But especially in a JRPG, you don't really see that, which I think was a really nice touch and very modern way of doing things. 
And I, I don't know, like just everything about this title, and I'm trying so hard not to d- dip into like spoiler sides of the story itself, is just really, really interesting. Like you really feel for every single character, the guilt, like the the loss that these people have. There's a lot of loss in this game and it you feel every moment of it. And one of the aspects that I really do appreciate, like the designer of this game, which it was a one man designer that made this huge JRPG, which I think is insane to think about. Uh, he put so much work into the backstory of even the characters that you can miss. So there's a few characters that you can get based on different side quests that you do throughout the game, similar to any other JRPG. Like I remember the first time I unlocked Vincent in Final Fantasy VII. I was stoked. But you can totally miss that stuff, right? Well, the other side characters that you have, like, you know, your Yuffies and your Vincents and things like that, their background story was there, but it never felt like super powerful or made an impact in the world itself. In this one... Every character matters. Everyone has been touched by the actions that are going on in this world. And they they explain a little bit more. And they give you a different perspective on the lives that the, the citizens of this, this world have to live during a war. And a major war that has been going on for years and years. It's like the endless war, right? So it is a very powerful game that I think you need to experience it. Like, I would not watch any, like, spoiler stuff. I wouldn't watch any story. Just play through it. Because I thought was was actually kind of funny was um, while I was playing this, there was one point where I was like, I kind of want these items. Let me look it up and see. Because, I like, you can tell when ultimate weapons are popping up, right? Like, you get some weird funky items that you can't do anything with. And it's like, oh, well... If you find a certain blacksmith, maybe they can help you. I'm like, oh, cool. Let me look that stuff up real fast because I feel like I'm reaching the end of the game. All the walkthroughs that I, I, I saw were actually like a little behind where I was. <laughs> so it was actually nice not having some of these things spoiled. So I would definitely recommend looking at this game and playing through it that way, where you're just going through the world because it naturally makes you want to explore. It naturally makes you want to venture off and find every nook and cranny and and just like look for chests and find and talk to people. So it, it does pay off to actually do that. Whereas I feel like other JRPGs, you talk to NPCs and it, they just say the same thing over and over again. But this one actually does give you a little bit of payoff for that, which I think is really impressive. But yeah, it's it's a gorgeous title. It's a really fun to play through. If you got like 35 hours to play a game, this is definitely one I would recommend. And after finishing it, I really do feel like there's some great games here between this and Citizen Sleeper. I feel like those are my top two games of this year. And I would say that both of those are number one in their category, right? Like it's really hard Mm -hmm. to complain or compare the games that we've been talking about and find like a number one because all of these games are the top of the top for their what they were accomplishing. And they are all number one for their own way, right? Like it's, yeah, it's all phenomenal games. But Chain Echoes just really blew me away as far as JRPGs go. Damn, you sold me on trying to play that next. Damn it. <laughs> I've been like 
playing all these other games while having it on hold. And every time you talk about it, I'm like, I really need to play more of it. Now I'm like, well, I guess now that this episode's, you know, done, I can start playing other stuff. Yeah. But uh, I I think I have five hours into it, six. I forget. Uh, I loved what I played. And yeah, I was during interviews, they, they would say like, oh, uh, our inspiration was like Xenogears and Suikoden 2. And I'm like, what are they going with Suikoden 2? And then you bringing up the base building, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, that sounds exactly like that, which was always my favorite aspect of those games. So like it, it's it's very, yeah. it's I will say it is very minor, right? Like you just find people and then the base gets bigger and bigger. But it is nice because yeah. like you get like unlock merchants and little things and like the base changes and you get like an in and you get like different cutscenes if you have a special a certain character in your party, right? Like it is nice to see those things. So. And that's what I love. Like that sounds exactly like Suikoden. So I'm like excited to get to that. Um, it's it's a game I definitely like. I think out of all the games that I have on my list that I want to play next that came out this year, I think this is at the top of it. Yeah. And I, I'm excited to play through it. You know, there's next year has some great JRPGs coming out too. So I definitely want to beat this before those come out. Oh yeah. Yeah. Don't let this one become part of the list. You gotta play through this. Yeah. This just from the bit that I've played, you know, even those first couple hours are so damn good. Mm -hmm. Like it's to me, I'm one of those people that like kind of dislikes the way a lot of modern JRPGs go or turn-based RPGs. And I feel like this game does something that a lot of the newer, bigger franchises kind of like fail to do, you know, it, it takes it back to the day that we all kind of long for with those games, you know, before all the fan service, before all the, the eases of all these different kind of mechanics or the linear, you know, story like this, this game just feels too damn good. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's nice. You know, if indie titles are going to be the, like the better future for turn-based RPGs, I'm excited for it, you know, cause it needs a change and, you know, seeing, this game and some of the other games coming out in the future, I'm excited. You know, I, I love these takes on classics and I feel like out of all of the RPGs, like indie ones that I've played, I feel like this is probably the closest to actually capturing that old school feel that so many try to do, Mm -hmm. but this game just does it right. And I think, Ultimately, that's why I truly love this game, too. Like, I know I haven't beaten it, but it it is up there on the top of my list, too, just from what I played, because it it does feel like I'm playing, like, on my PlayStation, you know? Like, same way Signalis made me feel, this is this makes me feel that way, but with an RPG. Yeah. All right. Well, this was a pretty long episode for us, but we wanted to go through some of these amazing titles and hopefully you guys have heard of some games that you didn't know about and now you are really excited for because while a lot of top 10 game lists out there 
are great, but most of them really focus on the ones that were heavily marketed. A lot of the titles that we talked about in these last couple of weeks were more on the indie side because, man, indie is winning 100%. They are killing it by changing the genres, by showing where games can go and just what amazing things can come out of game development if we just free that expectation and change our mindset a little bit. But yeah, that's going to do it for us this week. Hope you guys really enjoyed our little, our favorite games of 2022. It's been a lot of fun playing them and a lot of fun talking about them. But we will see you guys next week and next year, I believe, uh, in 2023. It's kind of crazy to think that we are reaching 2023 now. We've been doing this for a little while. Oh boy. <laughs> Weird. But it's pretty awesome. But yeah. Anyway, with that, that's going to do it for us. We'll talk to you guys later. Uh, bye for now. Thank you.